Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, June 3rd, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we get, take you through what was the disappointing, sad, just uh, downright kind of bad news for the Orioles that they got on Thursday with Grayson Rodriguez being diagnosed with a lat strain. We'll talk about what that means for him, for the O's, how long he could be out, and all the reaction to the injury news for baseball's top prospect. But first, we get into the Orioles' tough loss on Thursday night to the Mariners as they fall 7-6 to six in extra innings. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. And then we'll get you ready for a weekend series. The Cleveland Guardians coming to town to take on the Orioles for the first time this season. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, of course, we've got some tough news to get to with Grayson Rodriguez going on the injured list here, presumably. But first, we start with an Orioles loss on Thursday night, a back-and-forth game, but the O's fall 7-6 to six in extra innings. They played 10 against the Seattle Mariners and lost the game, lost the series 2 out of 3, and the O's dropped to 22-31 and 31 on the season. And I'm going to get you the five things that you need to know from this tough Orioles loss. And the first thing you need to know, well, the Orioles just didn't execute as well as they usually have this year in extra innings. Those have been pretty good in extras so far this season. was not the case on Thursday night. In the top of the 10th inning with Jorge Lopez on the mound, Mariners start with a ground ball to the right side, gets the runner to third, and then Abraham Toro hits what I thought might be a sack fly, but deflects off Cedric Mullen's glove for an RBI triple. Now, Jorge Lopez did a nice job because it was then 7-6 with a runner on third and one out, and he got out of the inning keeping it 7-6, but the offense just couldn't do it in the bottom of the 10th. Of course, started with the pinch runner Ryan McKenna at second, but the big thing was Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle both struck out to start the inning. You were hoping at least one of them would put the ball in play, get something going. You are never, ever going to bunt with either of those guys in that situation, but you're hoping they can put the ball in play and get some action going. They did not. And then Adley Rutschman came up to the plate as the final chance, and he hit a ball that looked like it was going to be a game-tying single into right field, but the Mariners had the shift on, and the second baseman, Adam Frazier, was there to make the catch kind of down the line, deep into right field. It was a ball that was not hit super hard. It was about 90 miles per hour off the bat, but StatCast gave an expected batting average of 960 off the bat. That means that ball to that part of the field is a hit 96% of the time, according to StatCast. But it was an extreme shift from Seattle. They hadn't played perfectly, and what should have been a game-tying RBI single turns into a line-out to end the game off the bat of Adley Rutschman, and the Orioles fall 7-6. to six. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Jordan Lyles did struggle again for the Orioles and again had one of his shorter starts of the year. For the third time this season, he did not pitch past five innings. He did pitch, I will say, into the sixth, but did not record an out in the inning. His final line, five-plus innings, five runs, four earned on nine hits. He struck out three and walked two. Lyles threw 83 pitches on the night, allowed eight hard-hit balls. 
and really just kind of got smacked around a bit in this game. I mean, he got a lot of help from the defense in this one. From the start of the game, Jesse Winker hits a ball off the big wall in left center field. You're thinking that's an easy double. Winker tries to go for a triple. Austin Hayes with a great backup picks up the ball and fires a strike into third base to get Winker out to start the game. And then later in the game as well, Cedric Mullins with a bullet throw to second uh, to cut down a runner trying to extend a single into a double. And, you know, those were two of the hits that somehow Lyles was able to keep him off the base paths because of his outfield defense. But at the end of the day, just too many hits against Lyles in this one with the nine hits. He got just seven whiffs on 34 swings in his 83 pitches. And, you know, his slider got three of his whiffs. It was once again his best pitch. And he had the usual pitch mix going where he threw all five of his selections. But at the end of the day, the stuff just wasn't at his best. I mean, he didn't get really killed in terms of exit velocity on the night. It's not like they were squaring up every single thing that Lyles threw out there, but they were squaring him up early. And at the end of the day, it's just too many hits. And yeah, it was a bloop single that got him out of the game in the sixth inning. And you just like for him to get more than 15 outs. It just was not Jordan Lyles day. Once again, for the second straight start on Thursday night. Third thing you need to know is the Orioles move things to the bullpen is that well, that sixth inning just continued to get worse once Jordan Lyles left the game. CNL Perez came in, and after allowing a sack fly on the first pitch that gave Seattle a 4-3 to lead, he walked a couple of batters and did not look good at all, immediately got yanked from the game. In comes Joey Crable, who gives up a two-run single, and then he walks a batter. But on his second-to-last pitch of the inning, it was a 2-2 pitch that he missed up high with a fastball. Registered just 89 miles per hour on the gun. And the reason that's why, the reason that's such an issue is Crable's fastball has averaged about 94 miles per hour this year. So when he throws one up high at 89, that is an issue. His very next pitch was also high for ball four. The trainer came out, Brandon Hyde came out, immediately comes out of the game. Orioles said later that Crable left with shoulder discomfort. So we'll keep an eye on Joey Crable, but you would have to think. That might mean that uh, he might be going on the injured list. If he does, it's probably a pretty quick promotion for Nick Vespi back to the big leagues. But Crable has been really good this year for the Orioles. That fastball changeup combo has been lethal, and they're going to miss him at the, in the bullpen if Crable has to miss extended time. Of course, he'll get further testing probably coming up on Friday. But the fourth thing you need to know is that after Crable left, the bullpen really flipped the switch in this game. It was looking like kind of a bullpen meltdown when Crable left. It was already four runs in in the sixth inning for Seattle. They had a 6-3 lead. They had the bases loaded with just one out. And in comes Brian Baker, who had been really bad lately, had allowed 19 base runners over his last seven outings, over eight innings. And he got the job done, got a strikeout and a ground out to keep it 6-3, to three, get out of that bases loaded jam. And then, of course, the Orioles had their rally in the bottom of the sixth inning as they got the RBI double from Ramon Arias and the two-run double from Cedric Mullins that tied the game at six. And then they turn it over to the back end of the bullpen, and those guys just kind of cruised. Dylan Tate put up a inning and two-thirds scoreless with two strikeouts. And then Jorge Lopez was really, really quick through the – got the last out of the eighth on one pitch, 
went really quickly through the ninth. Then, of course, did labor through the 10th, but it was a one unearned run with two strikeouts over two and a third innings for Lopez because the one run that scored was the zombie runner, and that's an unearned run. And those guys did their best to keep the Orioles in the game. The O's just weren't able to score after that sixth inning rally. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this game is, you know, I could talk about the good performances from some of the position players. Cedric Mullins had two doubles, two RBIs, and a walk. Another two-hit day for Austin Hayes with a couple of RBI singles in this one. Ramona Rios had another extra base hit. But I just got to continue to ask, why is Chris Owings on this team? Another offer. I guess credit to him, he didn't strike out in this one, but he went 0 for 3, and then Jorge Mateo pinch hit for him late in the game and finished the game at shortstop. But Owings with the 0 for 3, now batting 107 on the season and just made some bad plays defensively. Let a double drop in to start that sixth inning that probably should have been caught off the bat of Taylor Trammell. Instead, it kind of falls in aimlessly behind Owings for a double that started the four-run rally in the sixth. For Seattle, he had another bad play where he allowed a run to score on a steal attempt where he let a ball just skip right by him on the throw from Rutschman that, you know, maybe wouldn't have been an out, but he should have knocked down or caught at the very least. Their runners on the corner should have kept the guy at third base and said it skipped through and at that point uh, actually tied the game at two in the third inning. But at the end of the day, I just... I get that he plays shortstop and he plays multiple positions. He is a veteran guy, but between Bannon and Nevin and Richie Martin, and even Caden Grenier at the minor league level in AAA right now, and Taron Vavra coming back soon, just get Chris Owings off this roster, man. I don't understand. He's one of the worst players I've seen, maybe the worst player I've seen during this rebuild. And there were a lot of bad players, especially in 2018 and 19. Chris Owings might take the cake, but... The Orioles lose a tough one in extra innings, 7-6 to the Mariners and uh, drop two out of three in the series against Seattle. We're oh so close to uh, coming up with this one, but just could not get the job done in extra innings. But that wasn't the only bad news that the Orioles got on Thursday. You could say that the even worse news was Grayson Rodriguez, whose injury looks to be a little more serious than we initially thought when he left his start in AAA on Wednesday night. And coming up in just a second, I'll talk about how serious that injury is, how long we should expect him to be out, and what this means for his timeline in finally getting to the big leagues with the Orioles. But first, let's talk about LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Because with spring in the air, it's a time of renewal and growth, personally and professionally. And as your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a job post in minutes for free on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then you can add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can find you the right people to hire. And simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. LinkedIn Jobs, it helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb. That's linkedin.com slash lockedonmlb to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the O's lose an extra innings to the Mariners 7-6 on Thursday night, but that wasn't even close to the worst news that the O's got 
on Thursday. The worst news was Grayson Rodriguez went to Baltimore, got further testing, and it turns out he has a lat strain. Not what we initially thought. Of course, the backstory, Grayson Rodriguez making his 11th AAA start of the year on Wednesday night, and what I presume to actually be his final AAA start. I predicted back on Wednesday's episode that he would debut next week and that Wednesday night would be his last start for the Norfolk Tides. Well, he's cruising through five scoreless innings, takes him two pitches to get two outs in the sixth, and then he feels something. And he walks around the mound, and Buck Britton and Justin Ramsey and the trainer come out. He chats with them for a bit, and he comes out of the game. Now, the initial reporting from Andy Costco, the Baltimore Sun, was that Rodriguez felt a cramp in his back. He was feeling dehydrated as well. But that cramp continued to persist, and Rodriguez came to Baltimore on Thursday for further testing, and Mike Elias announced on Thursday evening to the media that Rodriguez has a lat strain. And you could tell something was wrong because Rodriguez's last pitch was a fastball at just 89 miles an hour. He throws in the mid-90s, kind of similar to what we saw from Joey Crable on Thursday night before he left the game with injury. But he's got a lat strain, and Elias said, quote, it's safe to say he'll miss some time and probably a decent amount of time at minimum. And they currently, as of this recording here late Thursday night, have no timetable for Grayson Rodriguez's potential rehab and when he could return to the mound. So obviously this stinks for the Orioles and for Grayson Rodriguez. And Michael Elias talked about it. It was really bad timing and who knows if Grayrod would have been up next week to make his major league debut, but all signs were pointing to that. He was ramped up. He was ready to go. He was just dominating AAA hitters, and he did it in Wednesday's start as well, five and two-thirds scoreless before he left the game. And obviously, this is going to much further delay Rodriguez getting to the big leagues because it's not only now that he'll have to wait however long it takes to recover from this injury, but once he comes back, he'll go on rehab starts, I'm sure, and he'll you know, go to Sarasota and rehab, and he'll make a start in the FCL, and he'll pitch in Aberdeen, he'll pitch in Bowie, and then he'll pitch in Norfolk some more. But like we saw with Adley Rutschman, because he's not in the big leagues yet, it's not going to be getting him right back to the bigs when he's done with his rehab. He'll still be on the Norfolk Tides roster, which means they're going to want to stretch him out again at AAA, so you can probably add another week or two at least on top of the injury time before he actually gets back to the big leagues. So the next question becomes, what does a lat strain recovery look like? Well, MLB.com actually has a, a nice little resource on the lat strain injury. There's, there's three grades of the strain. And what they call it is the latissimus dorsi is the broadest muscle of the back, reading from the MLB.com glossary, and extends from the top of the hip to the lower sixth thoracic vertebrae in the mid-back and basically takes up a lot of of your back muscle and grade one is a mild strain grade two moderate grade three severe we're not sure what grade the strain is but under typical recovery time it says recovery time varies depending on the strain with grade one strains typically requiring two to three weeks grade two usually at least a month and grade three often requires surgery and can come with considerably longer recovery periods so we still don't know exactly the grade on this strain and the Orioles said Grayson Rodriguez is going to get further testing and another opinion as well. But I did look up to see how long just players this year who have had lat strains, it's kind of a common injury, have taken to get back. Because the O's won him back. Because listen, Gray Rod threw 11 starts in AAA, a 209 ERA, 56 innings, 80 strikeouts, just 14 walks. He's been ridiculous. He's the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. 
He, you know, in the latest MLB.com release, the number three prospect in all of baseball. And Adley Rutschman is number one on that list. He's about to graduate. Gray Rod's going to be the number two prospect in baseball. But he's going to miss some time. Now, the first one that popped up in terms of just research on MLB guys who have had lat strains is Tim LaCastro. Now, I know he's not a pitcher. He's an outfielder for the Yankees. But he went on the injured list on May 8th. He started his rehab on Wednesday. That was June 1st. So it took him a little less than a month, just over three weeks from the injury to go back on his rehab assignment. Now, he is not back in the majors yet, so that's not a full recovery. But it's obviously different for pitchers. But there were three pitchers so far this season that I could find that have had a lat strain. The first is Jordan Sheffield of the Rockies, who went on the injured list on April 26th with a lat strain and was activated back to the Rockies on May 31st. That's just over a month. Not too, too bad for injury time. But it does vary because some guys have had more serious lat strains. Now, we know for Rodriguez, as Michael Elias told the media, you know, they looked at his rotator cuff and his elbow and his shoulder, and that all seems to be good to go, which is obviously good news. But take a guy like Kyle Funkhauser, who pitches for the Tigers. He got a lat strain, you know, early in spring training, missed all of spring training, was placed on the 60-day injured list, and he still is not throwing, and we are into June. Also, Justin Garza, a pitcher for Cleveland. He's missed two months already with a lat strain, kind of similar to Funkhauser, with, you know, no real, not, not, doesn't not have an end in sight, but does, it's not like he's going to be back in the next day or two. So it does make you a little concerned. Now, the way the Orioles talked about it, didn't make it seem like it's this crazy bad strain that's going to require surgery and keep him out for, you know, the rest of this season. But Michael Elias said, you know, it's going to be a decent amount of time at minimum, as I read that quote. And, you know, most reporters who have talked about this, Dan Connolly of The Athletic and Eddie Koska from The Sun, have basically said, you know, one month is the usual time. And that's what I've read as well. And that's just kind of the hope. The hope is that he misses a month, he comes back, and, you know, maybe he's ready to come to the big leagues in six weeks. That kind of puts us right around the all-star break. So right now, I would not expect Grayson Rodriguez in the big leagues. I would say the very earliest would be after the all-star break, which comes right around July 19th this year, I believe. So, you know, you're still waiting a little while. And he's not going to be up, I don't think, until the second half. And we're not going to have D.L. Hall up in that time, I don't think, either. So, just terrible timing for this injury. Again, it really did seem like I really thought that was his last AAA start. He was going to be in Baltimore next week to make his Major League debut. And now a huge setback. Hopefully, it's a low-grade strain. It takes him a couple of weeks. He rehabs a couple of weeks. And he's back, you know, by the All-Star break. And pitching in Baltimore like he should be. Because he's a top pitching prospect in baseball. And he's a stud. But uh, just really, really tough news for Birdland to hear on Thursday. But despite that bad news, despite the loss to the Mariners on Thursday night, the show goes on for the Orioles. They are right back at it this weekend. Back at home against the Cleveland Guardians. And coming up, I will preview the first series between the Orioles and the Guardians this season. But first, let's talk about Built Bar, which is the best-tasting protein bar on the market. You've heard me talk about Built Bar time and time again on this podcast, but that's because it's so delicious. These bars, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. They've got these great flavors, like my favorite peanut butter brownie, but there's mint chocolate, 
there's fruity flavors like cherry. They're always coming out with new flavors too, like white chocolate chunk. They've got everything you can need in a protein bar, including 17 grams of protein, just over 200 calories, low sugar, low carbs. It's healthy, but it's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And you keep thinking, Built Bar, they can't keep getting away with this, but they do because the bars are so delicious and still good for you. So if you want to get your hands on some of these delicious and nutritious protein bars, go to built.com and when you use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Now we're going to preview this weekend series between the Orioles and the Guardians, but before we get that, we have an important favor to ask you, the listener. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about Locked On Podcasts and about this one right here, Locked On Orioles. So go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your help. So it's the O's and the Guardians this weekend for three games at Camden Yard, starting out tonight. And the Guardians ace, who has had a little bit of an up-and-down season so far this year, but it's Shane Bieber who will be taking the hill for Cleveland on Friday night. And let me tell you, even though he hasn't been absolutely nails this year like he has been in the past, Bieber has dominated the Baltimore Orioles in his two starts against the O's in his career. Now, they both came back in 2019, but here's his stats in his two starts. 17 innings, 8 hits, no runs, 26 strikeouts, and no walks. He had a 15-strikeout complete game shutout and 11 strikeout with eight shutout innings in his two starts against Baltimore that year. Now, he's a little different pitcher now, 27-year-old right. He still does have a 3-1-9 ERA in nine starts so far this season, and uh, he's been really good lately. His last start, eight scoreless with five Ks against Detroit. This could be a tough matchup for the Orioles. Bruce Zimmerman will go for the O's in the Friday night game. He's been looking a little rough lately. Ten home runs allowed in his last three games, including an Oriole record five homers allowed in Boston on Sunday after he allowed four homers in his previous start. And in each of his last three starts, Bruce Zimmerman has allowed at least four earned runs. He's gone from the Orioles' ace to a shaky play right now for the O's, so definitely an interesting pitching matchup in Game 1 on Friday night. Game two on Saturday, a little bit of a uh, a midday game, 4.05 p.m. Eastern time start at Camden Yards. And it will be Tristan McKenzie who takes the hill for the Guardians in that one. The right-hander who has had five straight quality starts. He's really been pitching well this year. Finally, McKenzie, the 24-year-old righty, having his breakout season. He's gone seven-plus innings in each of his last three starts. And his last start against Detroit, seven and two-thirds, two runs, and eight strikeouts. The righty has a 2.65 ERA in his 51 innings over nine starts so far this year. He's been really, really dominant. And he'll face off against Tyler Wells. Speaking of dominant, Wells coming off of six scoreless innings in Boston on Monday. Wells has walked just three batters over his last eight starts. Could be a really good pitching matchup coming up on Saturday. And then 
We get to Sunday, 1.35 p.m. start, and it will be the right-hander Zach Plesak who goes for Cleveland. The 27-year-old has a 4.93 ERA in nine starts so far this year, but his last time out might have been his best one of the year. Against Kansas City, six innings, one run, five strikeouts, and more importantly, no walks for Plesak, the nephew of Dan Plesak, who takes the mound. Now, he has only pitched against the Orioles once in his career. It came on June 29th, 2019 at Camden Yards. It was one of those two crazy games where the Orioles won two straight times by a score of 13 to nothing against Cleveland. In this one, Plesak went just three and two-thirds, allowing seven runs on seven hits, four Ks, three walks, and two home runs, one hit by Anthony Santander and one hit by Renato Nunez in that Orioles win. And on the O side, the starter, currently TBA. We're not sure who it's going to be. It is kind of slated as that spot that was not filled on Tuesday when the O's went with a bullpen game instead and lost to the Mariners 10-0. It could be Dean Kramer, who has thrown now nine scoreless innings with 18 strikeouts, two walks, and two hits in his three rehab starts. And he did go four scoreless with seven Ks in AAA on Sunday, so he would be very well rested if the Orioles held him back and potentially wanted to throw him on Sunday. Definitely a possibility. Maybe you try to ramp him up for four or five innings, get him to the bigs. The other option is probably Denny Reyes, who is currently on the Major League roster. He was recalled on Wednesday. Hasn't pitched yet. Didn't pitch in the Wednesday or Thursday games. So if the O's don't need to use him in a mop-up long relief role on Friday or Saturday, I could certainly see Denny Reyes making his second start of the season on Sunday. Of course, he started one of the games, a doubleheader in Boston on Saturday. Went three and two-thirds, one strikeout, one walk, allowed just one run. Wasn't great, wasn't bad. It was just kind of what the O's were looking for at that point. He could give them probably a little more length if he started on Sunday. But this Cleveland team kind of playing right around 500 baseball. They've had some games canceled this year. They've actually somehow, some way, played seven less games than the Orioles. O's are 22 and 31. Guardians 22 and 24 coming into this three-game series. But then I'll be back with you on Monday, recapping all the action from this three-game set between the O's and the Guardians, getting you my three big takeaways from the weekend when I return on the pod on Monday. And before we go, all this weekend, I will be at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium cheering on my alma mater, the Maryland Terrapins, hosting an NCAA college baseball tournament regional for the first time ever as the number 15 national seed. So uh, hopefully I can talk about some Orioles wins and mention some Terps wins when I'm back here with you on Monday. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.